Welcome to Lakeshore. We're so glad that you're here today. Uh, welcome to the guys at Smyrna. We're so glad you're with us today. Anybody connecting with us online, welcome. We're glad you found us there and that we can have that online for you. Uh, we are in a series called Uncommon Sense. And the idea is that we uh, have had generations before us who were raised with things that we just consider to be common sense understanding of how things work. But over time, I think we have lost some of that. And, and the way we, we knew it was common sense was that it was in alignment with God and God's Word. And, and we've gotten, I believe, as a culture, further away from being aligned with God's Word in a lot of ways. And, and part of it is in what we used to call common sense. So we are examining what now has become uncommon sense teachings of God in His Word when it comes to stuff, money, material things. And it's not just about giving to the church, but, but all of that's connected, all of that's related. Uh, but it's managing all the stuff the way God would want us to. And He gives us some what is now uncommon sense, clear teaching in Scripture that will help us do a better job with this. And it affects everyone at every income level, no matter how much you have right now or you've ever had in the past or how much you're going to get in the future as far as money or material things, at any level, you need this uncommon sense to manage it well. And if you don't apply this uncommon sense, no matter how much money you make in your life, you will never, ever be able to have peace and joy with what you have. So it is important for us to learn these uncommon sense teachings. There was a poker player who won a million dollars a prize in a poker tournament. And they interviewed him after the tournament and they said, congratulations on your win. If you don't mind me asking, how will you spend your one million dollar prize? The poker player said, well, I owe some people some money, so I'll be paying my debt to these guys. And the interviewer said, okay, what about the rest? He said, well, I guess they'll have to wait. He won a million dollars, but he was already so far in the hole that even that wasn't going to cover everything. So far in this series, we've examined the necessity of work, how it's a blessing and not a curse. And we, last week, we talked about the importance of restraint in our spending because that's what can get us into the hole. And today, we're going to consider the trap of debt because it is a trap in a lot of ways. I mentioned this last week, but I want to remind you of just a couple of stats. One is the median household income in America, even back in 2017, hit over $61,000 annually. That's the highest it had ever been. And it's increased a little bit since then, economists tell us. So it's even higher than that now. Now, whether you're above that or below that, that's the median across the country. Uh, and some of you are, are above that. Some of you are under that. But either way... It's higher than what it has averaged in our country ever. Now, the typical American household carries an average debt load of over $140,000. Now, that's including the mortgage, you say, okay. But if you take the mortgages out, even if you're buying a house, the average American household now has over $40,000 in debt without the mortgage included. You see, even though our incomes have increased pretty significantly over these recent years, our debt load has increased even more significantly during that same time. 
Something's wrong there. When you think about it just in those terms, that's not common sense, is it? That with greater income, we have put on ourselves greater debt load at the same time. But that's exactly what we've done. You would think it would mean we have more money to actually pay for stuff because we're making more, but we're not doing it that way. We're not doing it the common sense way. Or what is now more uncommon sense. And Scripture does have a lot to say about this, more than people realize. And I'm convinced it's because of God's love for us, his desire for us to have peace and joy and contentment in our lives, that he teaches us these uncommon sense things that we need to know so that we're not under the burden and the pressure of too much debt in our lives. I want to start with a passage in Proverbs 22 and verse 7. It says this, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Now, is it common sense to think, I want to borrow as much as I can so I can be a slave to the lender? I mean, is that the goal for any of us to become slaves? Of course not. So we know in our minds that's not where we want to go. That's not what we want to do. And yet more and more people in America are ending up in that place of being slaves to their debt. And it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. We talked last week about spending, and a big part of this is us spending more than we ought to spend. That's not the only factor, but that's part of it. Okay? But we need to look at the whole picture of how we can do better with this. And one of the things that's going to be really important for us to understand is that debt is a trap. So I want to start with two observations, and then we'll look at five practical tips on how to handle this based on Scripture, okay? This is not Pastor Randy's financial plan. This is Scripture. This is from God, okay? Two observations. Number one, Contrary to what some financial people are telling you in the church world, debt is not a sin. Debt is not a sin. I want to start with that because this series has never, ever intended to lay a guilt trip on anybody to make you think you're a bad person because you have debt if you're sitting here today with a lot of debt pressure in your life. It is not a sin to have debt. Uh, in the Old Testament, in fact, it gives guidelines for loaning, for borrowing, and for paying back debt. So, so we know even in God's plan for his nation, Israel, there was an allowance for the idea that people could loan money or businesses could loan money and people could pay it back. But there were boundaries put on it to protect everybody. Both the lender and the borrower had protections under God's law. One of the greatest protections God put into how they did it under the old law was there was a limit on the term of the debt. And if it went longer than that, every seven years the debts were to be forgiven. So they couldn't finance it, or they could, but the, but the, but the lender put himself at jeopardy then. If he, if he loaned them something for longer than seven years, then he had to forgive it at the end of that seventh year regardless of how much they still owed. So how long do you think most people would lend things for, lend money for? Seven years, max, okay? So that protected people a little bit from having such a huge long-term debt load. The lenders would also then protect themselves by not lending more than they felt like the people could honestly pay back in seven years. All right, so it protected the lender, 
and the borrower. Now, we live in a culture today, an economy today, where we, don't have, we have some guidelines that banks use and lenders use, but we don't have nearly the kind of protection that would have given for the borrower or the lender. Now, lenders do have to make a judgment call on how much you can honestly pay back. They don't want to get left without you paying it back. But they can stretch it out really long now. Okay, It can be way over seven years. I saw where you could finance a mattress for over seven years now. A mattress. I don't think I can sleep well. I don't care how good the mattress is, right? Now, I'm not trying to make fun of you. If you financed one recently for seven years, okay, that's all right. You did what you thought you had to do at the time. But let's learn. Let's, let's start learning to do better. But I wanted to start with this. Debt is not a sin. So don't sit here feeling like I'm so... I, I, I'm dishonored God, uh, and I'm not, uh, I'm not pleasing to God because I have debt in my life. That's, that's not what God is teaching us in his word. But the second observation is really important, and that is, according to God's word, debt is risky. It always carries risk, always. All debt carries risk. I hear financial experts talk about good debt and bad debt, right? And, and there is a difference. We'll talk about that just a little bit. But all debt, even what we call the less risky uh, or the good debt, carries risk. For example, most financial experts, and I would agree with this, would say buying a home could be good debt. But there's risk involved even with that. The reason buying a home could be good debt is because homes normally increase in value after you buy them. But here's the danger. Here's the risk. If you don't make a smart purchase, even that can come back to hurt you. If you don't save up a good enough down payment so that you go into it with some equity, okay? If you don't get a good enough interest rate or, the, the, or amount that you're borrowing on the house so that the payment itself is so hard for you to make, you can't keep up the house. You can't maintain it. You can't do the repairs and stuff that need to be done to the house. If you're stretching yourself so thin you can't do that, then the house will begin to de deteriorate and you can't get your money back out of it. It's not a good investment if you can't keep it up well. If you buy in an area that you can't always predict this, but it's declining instead of improving, then that could be a bad investment because you may not be able to get the return on your home. There, there's a lot of factors there. Bad debt would be, what would be even worse than that, though, is to buy things on credit that decline in value. Those are not as good. For example, any car you buy today, as soon as you purchase it and it gets titled, it begins to decline in value immediately. And if it's a new car, that first year, it takes the biggest hit of all in the first year in declining in value. So even if you pay some down on it, and some of them, you don't have to even pay any down, right? They'll help you out with no down payment. So you can get into it. But as soon as you get the car, you owe more on it than it's worth as soon as you purchase it. And the value is only going to go down. And here's the way they do the financing. You're not paying much down on the car on the front end of those payments. It takes a long time because you're paying interest, more interest like on a house, on the front end. Okay? So you're not going to catch up just making the regular payments. 
on the value of the car. You see the difference in some that might be considered less risky debt than others. But all debt carries risk. You could afford the payment right now, but what if there's a cutback at your company? Right? What, what if there's a layoff? What if, if you're a two-income household and one of you loses that income? What, you know, all of those factors you have to look at to understand that debt is risky. It doesn't mean you can't ever go in debt that God says don't ever buy anything on credit. That's not what God's Word says. It doesn't say that anywhere. But I think He expects us to be good stewards, don't you? I mean, we're supposed to manage things well. And our money and all of our stuff, it really belongs to him. So he wants us to be good stewards of those things. And so we've got to think through, not just can I afford the payment right now, but look at more than that if you're considering going into debt for something in your life. Because there's a whole lot more to it than just can I make that payment right now. Like an automobile, you buy it and you've got the payment. But guess what? Owning an automobile automatically means you have more expense what will the insurance be on that car right what will the gas mileage be where i have to keep putting fuel in that car what will the maintenance cost be on that vehicle all of those things are added in they don't tell you that on the front end you're just looking at the car payment you're not looking at the rest of the expense that comes with the car because they all have more expense and they all will have things break mess up and have to be repaired, all of them. I don't care what brand you buy or what quality rating it has. All of them have to have maintenance and upkeep and repairs, all of them. So even though this one looks nicer than that one, you have to figure, will I really be able to afford that one or should I settle for this one, at least for a while, until I can honestly afford the other one, okay? So debt's not a sin. But debt is always risky. And the biggest risk is what he said in Proverbs 22, 7. You can become a slave to your debt. You know the old saying, I owe, I owe, so it's off to work I go. Right? Catchy little tune. But so true, right, for so many of us. There's no choice and me having to stay at this workplace at this income level because I can only barely squeeze by and pay my debts if I can maintain this income that I have at this place right now. So no matter how much you hate your job or hate what you're doing, you cannot get out of it unless you can guarantee some way to replace that to pay your debt load that you have. Here's the other risk. Being a slave to your lender. I talked about it last week. I introduced this idea. Most Christ followers want to be generous people. The risk is when you start getting too heavily into debt, what does that do to your ability to be generous? It takes away the ability to be generous people. You can't support your church or its mission or its work. You can't help out the kids going on the youth conference trip. You can't do those things that in your heart you'd really love to do. I don't doubt that you want to be generous. Most people in the church want to be generous. But when we put ourselves too deeply into debt, then it takes away, it restricts us in our ability to be the generous people that we say we want to be. 
And so let's learn some practical things here. The next thing is five practical tips we can learn that will help us stay out of becoming slaves to debt, or if we have become a slave to debt, ways that it will help us get out of the bondage and the slavery of the debt load that we have. And these all come from directly from God's Word, directly from Scripture, okay? The first one, first practical tip, it sounds counterintuitive, but it really is the place to start. Develop generosity first. Develop generosity first. You see, it's a matter of the heart. And if you get your heart right, then everything else, all the other decisions about debt will be more in line with where God wants you to be in your heart. Okay? Let's look at this passage in Matthew 6. Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount here. Uh, What a magnificent sermon we have recorded for us there in, in Matthew. And in Matthew 6, beginning with verse 19, he said this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. And he adds this phrase, this this statement of truth. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, so if if we're going to say, last week I talked about writing down your priorities. If you weren't here last week, you can go back and catch it on our website or on YouTube, our YouTube channel. But what we talked about was making a list of priorities. And for me, and I think for a lot of you, we would say God is first on our list of priorities. And remember, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All that other stuff will be better aligned then when you do that. So we have to decide first, do I commit to being generous to God as a child of God, to be like God? Am I going to commit to being a generous person? Starting now, right where I am now financially, will I commit to being a generous person? You see, if that's not the motive behind it, then all your other decisions will be less than a decision of generosity. Every other decision will be less than a decision of generosity. It'll be a decision of survival or it'll be a decision of, uh, of, of wanting to get what I want at whatever cost or wanting to get from my family or my kids, whatever the cost, whatever damage it does. I, I, you see, if you don't start with generosity in your heart, you're not going to get there without putting that first. You're not. So you have to determine, will I start being a generous person now? Now, he says, if we do that, he'll help you with it. He'll bless you for it. He'll help provide what you need. He says all of that in Scripture. But until you start with generosity, none of those things happen. Here's what people always say. As soon as God blesses me with more, I'll start being generous. Where's your heart right now? You see, if you're not already generous, then having more money won't make you more generous. You know how we know that? The statistics prove it. People don't give away more because they make more. They do not. In America, as we have made more as a people, as a country, our generosity has decreased as a people we say we're going to but in reality we don't you know why because we didn't start with generosity in our heart to start with 
if it's not already there, uh, I heard this saying, I really like it. Please forgive me. This was somebody else saying this. I'm not saying this to you as a myself, okay? He said, if you're a jerk when you were broke, you'll be a jerk when you get rich. <laughs> right? You'll just have more money to be a jerk with. That's all. You can be a bigger jerk, but you'll still just be a jerk. Okay? And if you're selfish with what you have now, what will you be when you have more? Selfish. That's just the way it really works. So we have to start with generosity. Second practical step, step, and this is scriptural, even though it doesn't sound spiritual on the front end. Develop an emergency fund right away. Develop an emergency fund right away. Now, some of you have gone through financial peace with Dave Ramsey, and you've gone through maybe Crown Financial or some of those. Different, they all say the same thing. Good financial planners will always tell you one of the first places to start is developing an emergency fund. And here's why. Because if you don't have that, what's going to happen? Something's going to break. Something's going to go wrong. And you don't have any way to pay for it without going into debt. It's the only way you're going to be able to do it. But you have to fix it. Right? If you drive that car to work, you have to get to work, right? So you've got to get it fixed. Proverbs 27, verse 12, more wisdom here. It says this. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple, <laughs> it's a nice way of saying simple-minded, okay? The simple keep going and pay the penalty. All right, so the prudent understand stuff is going to happen. Unexpected, stuff's going to break, hot water heater's going to start leaking, uh, alternator's going to go out on the car, something's going to happen. So if you know in advance that stuff is going to happen, then what would a prudent person do? Put some back for those things. Now, there's different financial experts giving different amounts of how you should do this. But here's what I would encourage you to do, just from experience and, and, and listening to... Uh, Ramsey stuff and, and Crown Financial and some others. Here's, here's what I would say. The average repair, household or car, is $800 or less. That's the average. So I would start out with trying to get $800 put back. Even if you have to do it $20 a week, however you do it, try to get $800 stuck back. Now, if something breaks and you only have $600, but that'll cover it, great. Go ahead and use it for that, right? But the goal is to get about 800 because that covers the average repair that comes up in most people's lives. Now, that's not where you should stop. I'm not saying that's, that's the maximum. Just not, That's not what the experts say because the more you can put back in the emergency fund, the better it is because some repairs are going to be higher than that. Some expenses are going to be over 800 That's just the average. So that means some are higher than that or you wouldn't have that average, right? So you need to get past that if you possibly can, but at least work really, really hard. Now, that means for a few months or maybe a year, what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to look for ways to tighten your belt, sacrifice a little bit, not eat out as much, do some things like that, so you can get that emergency fund put it back there. But can you do that if, if this is a priority for you? Absolutely. You see, it's not a matter of can't everybody in this room could do this. Everybody in the room and hearing me online could do this. It's not a matter of can I. It's a matter of will I commit to this and do it. That's what it is. But everybody can do this. We can get $800 put back in an emergency fund. 
It may take a little while. It may take a little longer for you than for that person, but all of us could do this, okay? All right, so develop an emergency fund. That's step two. First one is begin with generosity, right? Make that the commitment. I'm going to be a generous person. Now, having an emergency fund, guess what that'll do to your generosity? It'll free you up to be more generous, right? Because you've got something put back for the, for the bad thing that's going to happen already. So that frees you up to do something now more generously to help somebody else. You see how they, they connect to each other, okay? The third step. Ooh, it's the dreaded filthy B word. Develop a budget. <laughs> Develop a budget. And some of you will say, I've got a budget. No, you don't. You've got a general idea. You've got a feel for where you are. A budget is line item on your computer or on paper for every expenditure you have in your life, period. That's a budget. It's pre-planning every penny that you make and where it's going to go. That's a budget. And if you haven't pre-planned that, you don't have a budget. You've got a reactionary approach to your finances. Well, I kind of know what I have coming in. I kind of know what's coming out. And I just have to react to whatever happens in the meantime. That's not a budget. Okay? You need to get it down. Here's what happens when you actually put it in writing or on your program on your computer or whatever. You get an honest reality check of where you are financially. Because we all tend to be, when we want to buy something, a little overly optimistic about where we are financially. We do, because we want to buy that thing and we want to feel good about buying it. So we tend to act like and live like we're doing better than we really are. And the only way to know if that's true or not is to put it in writing so you see really where you are financially. Now, if you need a budget guide, Financial Peace has those available, Crown Financial, those organizations. Some of them are free, available online, budget guidelines that you can use to put things on paper. I recommend you get one of those and use it because here's what happens. If you don't have a guideline like that, you'll forget stuff that you don't have to pay every week or every month, right? Like if you pay for your insurance six months at a time, you might not budget that in the weekly, monthly approach to that. You might just say, oh, here's, I forgot about the insurance. It's six months later, right? You put that in the budget. Every expenditure, you put it in the budget. And then you can plan and pre-spend every dollar. Now, in your budget, I would recommend that you put a line item for just fun stuff. Because you're gonna, are you going to want to eat out once in a while? Are you going to want to see a movie occasionally? Maybe go to a play or concert, right? Well, put that in your budget then you don't have to feel guilty about doing it because you know you've budgeted for it, right? It doesn't have to be something you feel stress over because you know you've budgeted for it ahead of time. So you can have joy and peace when you do those fun things. Even after you do them, you don't have to have remorse over it because you budgeted for it, right? You knew it was there because you predetermined to use that money for that. Nothing wrong with doing those things if you plan for it the right way, okay? So develop a budget. 
Proverbs 27, 23, and 24, it says this. Be sure you know the conditions of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. Do you know the conditions of your flocks? We don't raise sheep. I don't think anybody in here is doing that for a career. If you are, that's great. You still need to follow this advice. But for most of us, knowing the condition of our herds means knowing the condition of our finances. You don't really know the condition of your finances if you don't have a budget in writing. You don't. You can sit there and act like you do, and you can just argue with people about, I know where I'm at, I know what I've got. You can do all the arguing you want, but you don't really know the conditions of your herds without having it in writing. You do not. Now, I know in my household, I'm not the best one at this. But I know my wife is a very detailed person. We do these Enneagram studies, and she's a one, and that means she's detail-oriented. She wants to have a plan for everything. My wife was up at 5 o'clock yesterday morning because it was on her mind. She had not planned out our budget for next year in writing totally and completely. So she got up at 5 o'clock and planned the whole year budget. Drives me crazy. But I am so grateful that she is good at that. Now, it doesn't mean we've always handled it well, that we haven't always followed it the way we needed to. But, but if you don't have a plan, if you don't have a plan, then you're not following God's word. He commands us to know the conditions of our flock. He commands us to be prudent and plan ahead when we know things can happen. We're not being faithful followers of Christ if we don't start doing a better job with these things. It is a spiritual matter. It's not just a matter of dollars and cents and money. It is spiritual obedience to the God we say is going to be first in our lives. If he's really going to be first, then let's follow his teachings, right? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. They're connected. They are connected. And we need to stop disconnecting them in the way we think about money and budgets and finances. They are directly connected. He said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. They're connected, okay? If your heart's going to be given to God, then we manage our treasure the way God wants it to be managed. Now, we've all made some mistakes, probably, I would think, in this area before now. And God's grace is there for us, and His love and His forgiveness is there for us. But how do you like it when your children just continually disobey you, parents? Do you like that? You think that's great for your kids to do that? No. So how do you think God feels when we just willfully continue to disobey Him in this area of our lives? He's not pleased with that, with his children. And do you know any good parent that's going to bless disobedience? I don't. So let's learn these practical steps. There's another one we're going to talk about. But let's learn these practical steps so that we can be pleasing to our Father. And we can be such good managers of the stuff that he allows us to have in our possession that he knows he can entrust us with more. And he knows he could count on us to advance the work of the kingdom the way he wants us to advance the work of the kingdom. 
I am not a health and wealth prosperity preacher. I hope you know that. I'm not saying you do this so now God will make you rich. That's not what we're talking about here. I'm talking about blessing your family, blessing your church, blessing your marriage because financial stress is the number one contributing factor in marriages falling apart in our country. I'm talking about you being able to be the blessing God designed you to be. That's what we're talking about here. It's not about getting rich. It's about honoring God, putting God first, doing things the way God says to do them. If you get wealthy and you had your heart right to start with, what will you be able to do more of? More of the good stuff because you're a generous person at heart. If you start out with that, right? So that's okay if you get wealthy. That's not a bad thing. I, I pray that you do and that you tithe faithfully. But... But it's not just the motive behind it, right? It's getting rich is not the motive. It shouldn't be. Honoring God, being a child that shows his love by his obedience, that's what should be the motive behind it. Well, there's a fifth one here. Oh, I'm sorry, the fourth one. Develop, uh, develop a debt reduction plan. If you have debt right now, then you've got to start where you are, Right? Whatever debt you've got right now, be honest about it. Put it in writing. List all your debts. And then start a plan to start getting out of the hole, out of the debt. So you're not a slave to it anymore. There are a lot of different plans out there. And some people say, well, I want to pay off the highest interest ones first. Well, if you can commit to that and do that, that's great. But I, I, I like a different plan. I got this one from Dave Ramsey, but the other uh, organizations teach this too. He calls it the snowball debt reduction plan, okay? And I think it's a very scriptural approach because of, of what it does for you. The first thing is you list all your debts and how much they are, right? Not how much the payment is or how much the interest rate is, how much the debt is. You list them smallest to greatest, like you owe two thousand on this credit card, you owe four thousand on that one, you owe you know twelve thousand on your car, whatever it is. You list them in order of how much you owe, and then after you've got your emergency fund put back, you do that first. Then you start paying any time you get a little extra, any time there's a little cushion, any time there's some money you could put toward it, you pay extra down on that smallest one. And you know why you, I think it's good to start with the smallest one? It's because of our human nature. If we start trying to get out of debt and we don't see any success very quickly, we don't see any relief along the way, what do we tend to do? Give up. Right? It's not worth it. I can't get this done. But if you start with the smallest one first, then you can get that paid off pretty quickly. If you get aggressive paying off a $2,000 credit card, can you do that pretty quickly? If you really get serious and aggressive about it? Absolutely. You know what that does then? It eliminates one payment out of your budget. It frees up that money more quickly. Now, the debt snowball debt reduction plan would be this. Then you take that extra or at least a portion of it and you apply it to that next biggest one on your list. Okay? You move to the next one. Now you've got a little extra money freed up to put toward it. So you could pay a little extra on it. And you know what happens with a snowball when you roll it down the hill? What happens to it? It gets bigger, doesn't it? It gains momentum and it collects more and you got more to work with and it gets bigger going down the hill. That's what happens to your debt reduction plan. If you start with the smallest, you free up some money, then you free up some more money. Now you got more to pay down on it. You got more and you can get 
really aggressive toward the end and paying off the biggest ones because you've got more money freed up to pay those debts too. See how that works? It's not a complicated plan. That's another reason I like it. It's one of the simplest debt reduction plans you could follow. When you start thinking interest rates and amount of payments and trying to figure out, it gets really complicated. But if you just start with the smallest and work your way up from there, man, that's an easy one to follow. And you see some success really quickly. You see some relief really quickly. You see some debts being paid off. And then I would recommend this. If you're, if you're in the hole, what's the first principle? Stop digging, right? You don't get out of debt by borrowing more money. You can't get out of debt that way. So I recommend, I think Dave Ramsey calls this a plasectomy, okay? Now, credit cards in themselves aren't, don't have to be evil. But some of you, you're doing a lot of your day-to-day -day buying stuff on credit cards. A plasectomy is you cut up the credit cards, especially the ones you owe a lot on so that you don't use them anymore. Now, I know there are ways around it, but there's something symbolic about getting out the scissors and taking that plastic and cutting that card up. You can order another card, but, but just cutting it up is symbolic of saying, I'm not going to become a slave to this thing anymore. Okay? I'm not going to be a slave to these debts. So you stop the bleeding as quickly as you possibly can. All right. So develop a debt reduction plan. The final one is learn to develop contentment. Luke 14, beginning with verse 28, it says this. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. You see, part of the reason we're overspending and living so deeply in debt is because we want to give an impression of success. We want to look successful. And we like nice stuff. Who in here likes nice stuff? My hand's up. I like nice stuff too. Your pastor is supposed to be so spiritual, but your pastor likes nice stuff too, okay? Yeah. And the nice stuff is not evil. It's okay to have nice stuff if you can honestly pay for it, honestly afford it, okay? And you're not a slave to it. So here's the deal. He says, think ahead before you make a purchase or a plan to buy something or build something or do something in business. Make sure you can honestly afford to complete it, to do what you need to do there. Because if you are not able to, here's what happens. Everybody's going to see the collapse that's going to take place. You thought you were making yourself look good, but in the long run, you're going to look worse than ever. Because you've got so deep that you couldn't maintain it anymore. And they show up at night with a tow truck and take your car. And they foreclose on your house. See what I'm saying? Don't start it if you can't honestly afford to pay for it. You can learn to be content in the meantime. Get that emergency fund put back, set a budget, and start working toward buying the stuff that you think you do need to buy in the right way. Well, here's the good news. God's grace is more than enough. And even if we're in debt and we haven't handled this well, I know God is gracious and forgiving and he'll bless us if we just start where we are and get on track. But here's the deal. The bottom line is all of us owe a debt we can't pay. In Romans 6, 23, it says this, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We've all sinned, right? Sin is a debt owed to God. It has to be paid for. 
You can't pay for it yourself. There's nothing you can do to eliminate that debt on your own. When Jesus was on the cross, we have his sayings recorded, the final words of Jesus on the cross. And in John 19.30, we have recorded what we believe were the very last words Jesus spoke on the cross. Here's what he said. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. In English, that's three words, right? It is finished. In the original language, it's one word, tetelestai. Tetelestai was a word they used in business in that culture. They even had stamps with tetelestai that they could put on a bill. You know when that was put on a bill? When it was paid in full. Tetelestai, paid in full. It is finished. It is completed. It is paid in full. The debt that you owe and that I owe is paid in full by what Jesus did on the cross. Now, don't use that excuse to get more earthly debt, right? That's not what it's all about. It's about the greatest debt of all being paid by Jesus for us. And our gratitude to him should be expressed in our willingness and our love to listen to the common sense teachings he gives us about how to live life in a way that honors him. We can all do better with that, can't we? In light of what he's done for us, is he asking too much for us to live obediently in this area and other areas of our lives? I don't think so. So if you're here today and you need to, you need to get that back in order in your life where it needs to be, whether it's the debt, the finances, or other things in your life, it begins with understanding what God has already done for you by paying your debt in full for your sin through his son, Jesus. Accepting his offer of payment in your life and then committing to living in response to what God has done for you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that in this lesson today and something that seems to be so worldly, You've shown us in your word it's really connected to our hearts and where we are spiritually. Help us to bring ourselves under your love and your care and your teaching and help us to love you the way you described loving you in your word. If we love you, we'll follow your teachings. We'll apply them. We'll be obedient to what you're telling us to do. Father, I pray for those who today are under financial strain and pressure and debt load. I pray that you would help them see there is light at the end of the tunnel, but things have to change and decisions have to be made and processes need to be followed. And if we do that, there's, there's blessing that comes with it. There's relief, there's peace, there's joy that develops as we see the progress being made. And Father, more than anything else, help us to honor you and show you our love and appreciation for the fact that you have paid our debt of sin on the cross through your son, Jesus. If there's anybody here who needs to take that step of coming to him and deciding to follow after him and your plan for our lives, I pray that today they would take that step. In Jesus' name, amen.